Did you know that you could be scrolling through Facebook, see a video for a few seconds, never turn the sound on, and Facebook still counts that as a view in the video's marketing metrics? This, along with other common misinterpretations of data, is what we're diving into today with this episode because I feel like we need to put some context around some marketing metrics and why we should care about the right numbers, not the vanity ones. What do I mean by the quote unquote right metrics? Well, I would consider a right metric to be 12 people from your target audience showing up to your webinar. Many executives might see that number 12 and gasp that we're spending too much time on this and to nix the live webinars after just a few months. From which I would ask, why the hell wouldn't you want 12 people from your target audience ready to give you their live attention? So in today's episode, we're breaking down what numbers should matter most to your digital marketing, breaking down the stats so you know where to focus your efforts, and reverse engineering the goals you want your audience to take. Plus some truth behind some common digital media metrics like what counts as a video view. With this context, it can help you refine that ongoing marketing strategy and focus on what's helping you connect your dots to the target customers on a deeper level so that when they're ready to buy, you'll win before they ever get to Google. Hope you guys enjoy. And it sort of might sound a little confusing with a lot of the numbers that we're about to dive into, but I want to be able to give you guys some context behind some of the content that you might be seeing out in the wild. Maybe you've already started creating content or you're thinking about doing it in the future. So we're going to break down what some of these metrics mean. And, and the reason we want to do this is because buyers have more power than they ever have before. They have a world of research at their fingertips that they can Google, that they can look for. And, and we really want to be the educational providers of what our product does, how we can help them reach that inspirational, that aspirational goal that they're trying to go after and, and without doing it in a salesy way. I, I think that a lot of companies out there, they're still trying to do a lot of the same traditional marketing, especially when it comes to digital, they're trying to go after, you know, that the paid keywords and they're trying to go after, you know, the ebook downloads and hope that those customers or hopefully that those leads eventually become into customers. But what you ultimately find is that while those are valuable, they're not exactly the moment that people actually make that purchase decision. And so if we want, to, if we know that now, if we know that the buyers have had more information than they ever before, then we need to know the difference between when they're in buy mode and when they're in research mode. And then that way we can make sure that how we talk about our product and how we we talk about our service is is geared towards one of those phases that your buyer is in. So let's start with what is working and what isn't. And the only way you can really know that is by going through your own platforms first and going through the process of auditing those platforms. So think of your website, think of your email campaigns, think of your social media marketing and how you're, you're out there publishing content. Which ones of those sections are working and how do we have some additional context behind how they're working, especially for the organic post? Because if you're doing well organically and you're getting some of that, that great response Responses. Say, say you make a post on LinkedIn and it really resonates and you go through all of your comments that you're getting or your likes that you're getting. Who is, who is commenting? 
who is liking, and ultimately, what are their job titles? And do they fit into your buyer persona or how, how some people call it your ICP? So that is really what we're going to dive into today. We're going to get a little bit more context so we connect so we can connect all of those dots. But first, we got to we got to do a little digging because some of these numbers out here, I think, are a little deceiving and it causes a lot of creators out there to worry about the vanity metrics and not worry about the right metrics. And let's just sort of run through a few. So for video, what does a, what does a view count for video? And let's look at YouTube first. YouTube you can watch a video for 30 seconds, between 11 and 30 seconds before YouTube counts it as a view. And that is vastly different from some of these other platforms because, for example, Twitter, it only takes two seconds and you don't have to have the audio on for it to count as a view. You're looking at a graphic right now. And, and I think that this graphic is a little bit more, uh, maybe a little bit more outdated because Twitter actually changed their metrics from three seconds, the, sort of the common. And uh, the, the common denominator for a lot of different social media platforms is that three seconds. Facebook does it. Instagram does it. Tw Twitter used to do it, but they've since changed it to two seconds. And you don't even have to have the audio on, which is the craziest part to me, because as you're scrolling, you could just accidentally just you could be looking at something else in your feed. And then all of a sudden you're counting that that video view is being counted towards you as if you actively watched it. So it's a little deceiving when you see, you know, maybe a, a Facebook video that's racked up millions of views and, and maybe only thousand, you know, a, a few thousand of them are actually active viewers who are digesting that content. A few of the other ones you'll see on this graphic, obviously Periscope, Twitter just got rid of Periscope, but they're going to be replacing it soon with Twitter video and some other additional features. Features, Instagram Live, Instagram Stories, and they've since added Instagram Reels, which is essentially a copycat version of TikTok. Um, TikTok actually counts your views as soon as you as soon as you watch it, but their their feed is a little bit different from some of these other feeds. Where if you open up the TikTok app, video starts to play automatically. But if you are on other platforms, yes, the video plays automatically, but it you have to scroll in order to see that different content. With TikTok, it's just as soon as you open up the app, it's sort of ingenious that it, it, that they do this this way because it doesn't require an action on your part. You open up the app and immediately you're digesting content. Whereas these other platforms, sure, the video will start to autoplay, but you have to actually click on a sound. You have to click on the little volume notification in order to hear the audio. And so knowing the difference between those two plat or between these platforms and how they count as a view is insanely, it, 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 it is well worth it to know which of these metrics matter and which of these metrics don't. I would say out of all of these, probably YouTube is the most valuable and Facebook and Instagram being a little less value. Twitter even more so because it only counts for two seconds and you have a view on a video that someone might just be scrolling through the timeline and not actually watching and digesting. So if you're noticing, you know, maybe some other creators have an insanely high view count or maybe your views aren't as 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 big, then you need to know... I, I, you need to put a little bit more context behind those views in order to really know what's resonating with your target audience and which ones aren't. Now, LinkedIn is a little bit trickier. It's the same three seconds, 
but let's give it some more context. A view means the content was viewed. For videos, the count happens only after three seconds, so we can't be sure what a meaningful view is. So in other words, you re- did you really glance at a specific either video or advertisement on a, say, a, a, a business page, but perhaps not long enough to take the information in properly. For other post types, LinkedIn says that they're judging whether content has actually been viewed is tough. LinkedIn, things such as clicks to see more. So think of whenever you're looking at a LinkedIn post and you see the text, see more, that is a tracking mechanism that LinkedIn is using to know whether you're just passively scrolling or if you're actually interested in that content. So to take it even a step further, you'll notice that with some of these posts, especially with some of the marketers that I follow, what they'll do is they'll put one sentence at the very top line, then they'll add a couple spaces after that first sentence, and then they'll write the the length of almost say like a, a, a tweet storm or like a small blog post, they'll write a character. I think LinkedIn has a character limit for text posts of up to 1400 characters, but that's why you will see that first sentence and then a couple spaces and then the rest of the text, because that gives people a little bit more insight, including LinkedIn of how people are digesting that content. Because if they're clicking that see more, then they legitimately want to see more. And so in that case, what you want to do is you want to make that hook, you want to make that first line on LinkedIn super attractive. So then that way people will be more likely to read the rest of that post. So that's the video portion of things. What about email? Email is pr- is probably the tool that we use most often in the logistics space and uh, you know similar to other industries, of course. But we have some additional data from HubSpot that tells us some uh, industry benchmarks when it comes to open rates and when it also comes to click-through rates. So when we're talking about open rates, open rates in particular are kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's when somebody opens your email. But there are a lot of variables to get somebody to open up that email. Uh, What is your subject line? Does it incite curiosity? Does it speak to that person's specific need during that time of the day? A lot of email software out there will pro it's programmed in their system to send you an email at a specific time of the day because all of their email algorithms have, have actually looked at your usage patterns. And so they try to send the email. I know MailChimp does it. I believe HubSpot does it, but it's an additional step for, for users to take whenever you're thinking about sending out your different campaigns. What does that subject line look like? What time of day are you sending it? Is it during peak time? Is it, you know, Monday morning at 6 a.m. when somebody is coming into the office and they probably have a weekend's worth of emails that they have to sort through? Are you trying to send it at a different time of day? And so knowing all of that insight into how, you know, it affects your open rates can really go a long way. Now, Industry benchmarks when we're talking about the open rates. Manufacturing was uh, one of the top spots when it comes to open rates with 23%. Software and business each had 20%. So that means the amount of emails that are being sent, these are the open rates according to the industry. And so if you're trying to target anyone within these different fields, or within these different industries, then you want to make sure that you're sending it at a time that they're more likely to get it and open it. Because it's not just your job to to make a great subject line. You also want to make sure that the time of day that you're sending is optimal for that person. And then also, 
what does the from line say? It, it, for a lot of people, especially I can speak for me, that when I send emails, I have my first name and then I also have my company name. So it has Blythe at Digital Dispatch as the from name. And the reason I do that is because maybe some people only know my name and maybe some people only know my business name. But if I'm sending it from the from address as Blythe at Digital Dispatch, then they're going to know, they're going to connect the dots, they're going to put those two together. And hopefully they will see that and be conditioned either now or in the future to open that email in the future. Future because hopefully, and ideally, the information that you're sending is valuable to your audience. They're not reporting you as spam. They've actually signed up to receive communications from you. So you're doing all of the right things, but then it's just about optimizing those little parts of the email, including the from name, the subject line, and then those first few letters of the email that shows up after the subject line. Make sure that you're optimizing those so that you can get the user to open up the email. That's only step one. Step two is to get them to take the action that you want them to take once they open up the email. So is it valuable? Is it, is it, uh, is, is, does that information speak to, uh, more for your benefit or to their benefit? It, it, do you want them to check out, you know, a latest podcast or a latest feature update? Maybe you have a new lane that you've just started servicing or a new commodity that you've just started servicing. So all of those things, keep that in mind because ultimately you want that email to have an action associated with it. And so with HubSpot's other numbers, when it comes to benchmark data, as far as click-through rates, we have, and to back it up a little, a click-through rate is, is sort of exactly what it sounds like. It's you have a button within the email or you have a text link or you have a reply. It's a it's a click-through action or a click-through rate of what you want that user to take. Do you want them to go to a specific page on your website? Do you want them to follow you on social media? So all of these things you need to sort of keep in mind as far as the click-through rate is concerned. But HubSpot's, as far as their benchmark data, manufacturing, again, had one of the highest as far as the click-through rate at 9.31%. Business came in next with 8.01%, and then software at 7.18%. So this is after you've done all of the hard work of creating the email, figuring out what you want to send to your customer, and then you sent it to them, and then they opened it, what was the next step that they take that, that they took? Did they immediately trash it? Did they uh, report you a spam? Hopefully not. Did they then take an action? And so knowing that the manufacturing, again, had one of the highest at 9.31%. And so having that sort of insight into those industry benchmark numbers can help you as you're formulating your campaigns and you're sending them out. But it's again, don't worry about the vanity metrics worry about increasing the metrics that you already have in order to get to a place where you can say, hey, I'm competing with some of the bigger the bigger guys out here. My emails are getting opened and they're taking the desired action that I want them to take. So that's email. We've run through video. We've run through email now. Let's run through some of the podcast numbers. And I mentioned earlier in the show when referring to Albin's episode, which he's the, he, he's the head of marketing over at Buzzsprout, which is a podcast hosting company. And he went through all of their data and, it, and they repeatedly go through all of their data. But he said among the more than 100,000 podcasters on their platform, he says, if your podcast gets 37 plays within the first week of release, you are in the top 50% of all podcasters, which is really 
a really encouraging number because if you look at it, this is one of those things where you, you maybe you've been you've been creating content for a while or or you just are maybe at a place where you're sort of frustrated with the performance or the lack thereof of some of your content. 37 plays is really achievable for a lot of podcasters out there. And if you are actively out there creating content and your podcast is getting more than that, then you know that you're even in the upper echelon of, of creators out there. And again, it goes back to worrying about the right metrics not the vanity metrics. A few more stats before we bring in our guest, Caitlin, is another one is, you know, we talk about content and we talk about advertising, which deserves its own show in and of itself. Um, but, it, you know, podcasting and, and getting your viewers to notice you. And then what happens after they notice you is you want them to come to your website and take an action. And so after they do that, you know, it, what kind of data are you working with? Do you have HubSpot data on your website? Do you have Google Analytics data on your website? And are you getting clean data? It's probably one of the most important things because there's Google filters that you can set up. More than 40% of all internet traffic is bot related. So you need to make sure that in Google Analytics that you're collecting that clean data by, by filtering out all of these spam sites. And HubSpot, it's as easy as just clicking a little button. You click a little button to filter out the this known spam and bot sites, these filters are updated pretty regularly by both of these companies, but you need to make sure that the data you're looking at is clean. So knowing that first, then you can find out which pages on your site you want your visitors to convert on. And then if they're not converting already, what is the ideal pathway that you want them to convert? Because then advertising, content creation, uh, email marketing, none of this matters if you don't have a good flow set up on your site. You can waste a lot of time. You can waste a lot of money by creating content and spending a ton on advertising and then filtering that traffic over to your website only to have the conversion rates just plummet because you haven't optimized that final endpoint. So think of that as think of uh, uh, putting the context behind all of this different data before you you know start with a massive advertising campaign or a massive new marketing campaign and you know a new launch, anything like that, make sure the flow is right on your site, make sure you're collecting that clean data, and then put that data into perspective. So we're not going to get obsessed with vanity metrics. We're going to track the compliments. We're going to track the questions that are being asked within our social media posts organically, because if those perform well organically, they will likely perform well with some paid advertising strategies behind it. And so you do all of this by paying attention to what things are performing organically well, that's leading to conversion. So then that way you have a better, a clearer path to create that messaging in the future. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. As always, you can find each show I publish along with more insight over on my website at digitaldispatch.io. If you like this podcast, and I think you'll love another show I host, Cyberly, which covers the attention economy, B2B marketing, and how it all ties into the world of logistics. That show airs every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here live on Freight Waves TV. There are also some links to my social media accounts along with my products and services that might be of interest to you found in the show notes or again over on my digitaldispatch.io website. 
If you found this episode interesting and or entertaining, be sure to share it with a friend. Word of mouth is the best kind of marketing. And since podcast discoverability has and remains an issue in this medium, I trust that folks like yourself will share it with those who would also find it useful. Until next time, my name is Blythe Brumleaven. I will see you real soon.